Hello, thanks for tuning into this episode. Before we start, Fintech Focus TV is brought to you by Harrington Star, global leaders in financial technology recruitment. Head to the Harrington Star website and check the links below so you can download the latest copy of the Financial Technologies magazine. And also, we've got the TradFi and DeFi Era of Convergence documentary coming up. If you're interested in the merger of the two, please get in touch. Thanks a lot and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fintech Focus TV with me, Toby Babb. Today I am delighted to welcome into the studio Sean Keenan from Greengate. Sean, how are you? Good morning. Lovely to have you in here. I've seen you sort of around our, our, our hallways doing a podcast of your own recently. We might come into that in, in a second. But before we get into what I think is a really interesting story that you've got, I want you to talk a little bit about who you are and Greengate itself and what you guys are doing at the moment. Great. Um, so we're setting up what we call a, a digital merchant bank. Actually, the first Google hit if you type in digital merchant there you bank. Go. <laughs> That's probably because we're the only one in town. But the yeah. first mover advantage is always <laughs> exactly. a great thing, right? <laughs> we're trying to bring back kind of the spirit of merchant banking, which the UK has had for centuries. Absolutely. Really, but into a modern context. And it's it's quite difficult to take proprietary risk on a bank's balance sheet. So we, we've reimagined how you can get what clients want working with them, but by doing it in a way that isn't balance sheet heavy. So it's a combination of banking services, which we're launching next month, payments and cards on an e-money basis, uh, a tech stack, which allows us to kind of offer apps and uh, consultancy services for, for clients. But the magic's really in the platform side of the business. So provided we have the core banking relationships and get to know people and have dedicated relationship managers, we'll know when they maybe need money for their business. And so we can help them by accessing a wide variety of both traditional and digital sources of money, so lending equity, but why not NFTs or something more crypto-centric? So this is a really exciting sort of uh, position to come from, and as you say, when you're doing something, I always think you're onto something when you're the first thing that comes up on Google, <laughs> and not, not a lot else behind it. So it's a, yeah. there's a method to the madness, right? Talk to us a little bit about your background and how you arrived at this idea and, and, and this, this becoming a thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, as with all of us, kind of an interesting circuitous route. I've been a banker by background. Uh, I cut my teeth in Switzerland, so I did an MBA at St. Gallen. Um, okay. I'm originally American. I've lost the accent slightly. You've, you've disguised yeah. it very well. I was trying well, to place it. So it's can... there. <laughs> um, but I moved here in 2010 within a division of Credit Suisse to build a bank, which I loved. Seeing the whole life cycle of credit kind of underwriting within that and treasury and finance and how they all fit together. And through that kind of project, I, I, I was thinking, okay, I really want to build a bank someday. Yeah. And then through... Just your normal things. As you do. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and through corporate transactions, that office became part of the first bank in the world to do crypto. Okay. And I was the London CEO. So I was getting to get my hands dirty and understanding how the new world... And where did that where did that deliver? So, so as you say, first to do crypto. What does it mean? Who, who, who drove that and how did that, um, that come about? So it was off the back of, I mean, some interesting issues that the bank had had, yeah. which we were insulated from. The London office was acquired into this institution when it was having some some changes. Mm -hmm. And crypto is one of these moonshot things that, as a team, we were looking to try something new, to re-energize re and create a new story. And what we offered initially was kind of custody trading, allowing clients to have a safe pair of hands to access the asset class. And the primary interest was institutional. Because at that time, there were only a handful of banks, mostly in the US, that allowed anything close to banking services for crypto companies. 
and we weren't geared up as a firm, my last firm, to deal with institutional clients, really. The back end and procedures just yeah. blown up. Yeah. Um, and so having had that story of building the bank within that Credit Suisse division, getting my head around crypto, I thought, okay, here we go. Like, I can finally go on my own, this can set stop. up a crypto-friendly bank. And, and the story has kind of always been part of an SME, kind of connecting interesting sources of capital, more the balance sheet side. But I had to think about how do you get balance sheet without breaking the tier one equity mm. of an institution and, and getting a full banking license is not easy, particularly if you're looking at crypto friendly stuff. Or quick, I would imagine as well. No, and, <laughs> and nor should it be. And I, I think part of the things that I've learned is these things take time and to do them properly, you need to step with building blocks and then grow kind of organically. And so we're, we're getting there. Talk to us about that sort of journey then. So, so as you say, look, this, is, this isn't an easy easy swing, right? There are, yeah. there are, there are probably uh, much easier startups to start or stop. You're doing something fairly pioneering in it. I love that. I love the fact that this has been something that's grown and, and, and as audacious a goal as to start a bank in an area in a, yeah. an area so new as this. It's really, really exciting. And I love that sort of pioneering spirit. So t- tell me a little bit about how you come around some of those sort of things, some of the challenges you find. The uh, I think we t- talked about it before, and the, yeah. the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Talk, talk to us about the story. <laughs> So it's founded in 2018, so it's been a few years now, four yeah. years and a bit. Um, and an interesting time we've seen all the way through it, both in terms of crypto as an asset class and, and, and everything else in between as well, right? Yeah, and that, that's been a journey, just going through the macro situation, but also building a business from scratch. Kitchen table time to, to now is very different. We're 30-some people and there is money that we can build things with. Yeah, yeah. But initially, I self Is that through funding or self-funding? or? Um, so we, we're revenue generating yeah. through the technology services and the platform business. The banking services, the, the core is what we're launching shortly. But we're able to generate funds because the platform using third-party balance sheets allows us to trade um, as an introducing broker, effectively. And the technology services just allow us to work with blue-chip clients, mostly financial services, to deliver a solution that they need. And then at the same time, we build more more SaaS type software as a service yeah, yeah. off the back of that engagement and increasingly we're building our own core banking stack that we can productize bits of it and then lift that we hope more into a technology business. Fascinating yeah. and and so so going through all of that, that sort of journey you've, yeah, I imagine there's as we say with macroeconomics and you know the winters as we've spoken about yeah. Coming through from a from a self funded business to a revenue generating business as, as as you are now, if you're talking to people who are, who are at that sort of entry level stage and they've yeah. got this uh, crazy vision that you, <laughs> that you had in 2018, what are some of the lessons that you'd impart onto that? Knowing when to give it up, actually. <laughs> okay, fair enough. My partner kind of gave me a very frank discussion, and it was very fair to do so when setting it up, saying, "Look, do this for a year. If if you can pull off something, great. If you can't." There's always a day job that you yeah, can go yeah. back to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I really respect people that start an entrepreneurial journey of any age. But yeah. if you start it in your 20s without, without kind of a the salary behind you yeah, and yeah. kind of the institutional expertise, good on you. I, I was coming more from that institutional world going into this riskier environment. And life is different at that age, in your 30s or 40s or whenever. So I think that, that's one thing I was trying to think through. Is there a cutoff point? And for me, it's... I mean, thankfully, I think we've overcome that, knock on wood. And the other thing is, I think you have to respond to the macro situations as they emerge. And in our little world of crypto, which is, is quite a big world, yeah. but it's self-contained in some respects, there's so much that we've had to just respond to 
macro conditions. If, if, for example, with this platform business and lending, if crypto goes down in value, the market then is harder to generate revenue from. So we're, we're looking to diversify, hence the technology businesses. And that SME focus, we, we think will give us more kind of a broader market. And maybe we can bring some SMEs into the digitally native space by offering them sources of money that are unusual. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of, I think that sort of scale of opportunity in the space is, is something that's always really excited me when I talk about it. Mm. This new world suddenly opens up. Every time you sort of peel it back another layer, there's more that lies beneath the surface, isn't it, in terms of opportunity and what you can do. And, and a lot yeah. of it's driven by the tech, but also the market. And you know, the, it, as a product, it's, it's got just got enormous potential and opportunities. I just want to t- touch a little bit more on, on your journey. So you talked there about your, your admiration for people who come in without that institutional backing and the risk yeah. that's involved into it. Yeah, as much as anything on that, you've built a career over a significant time and, and mm-hmm. done some great things. You've had your yeah, MBA, you've invested a lot into your, your career at that, at that sort of stage. 2018, it's very, very easy for you to stay in that, yeah. that you know, in that world and to move through. And, and I know there's a lot of institutional interest in that digital space at the same sort of stage. So probably the easiest thing in the world for you is to stay there and keep growing a C-level career within you know, the investment banking world. Yeah. And whilst you, you talk very generously there about the risk that people are taking in their earlier stage of their career, yeah. I'd argue it's a, it's a bigger risk at this stage of your career to take. Yeah. And I know, you, you know you, your friend said that you can then move back in and yeah. you know, you're later to do it, but it's, it's an impact and it's a risk, you know, a massive risk, even in terms of pure economics of ease back into marketplaces and such like. So you talked about having this dream and vision and you know that not many people have. It's like the same sort of thing as who sets out to be prime minister at some sort of stage. Not very many people have got the, you know, the balls to go down, down yeah. that sort of route. And I think to do what you've talked about here isn't a usual thing. Talk to me about your appetite for risk and, and what drove you. And, and then also, you know, I think you probably talked there about the, you know, the give it a year and see where you go. I'd imagine you've gone in there knowing this is this is going to work and you've got some certainty about this being a real product market fit and opportunity. And give, give me a little bit more about all of that sort of area. I'm really interested in this. So I quite like risk, but calculated risks. Yeah. You should know what you're getting into. I've had to learn a lot. Obviously, I think any entrepreneur or anybody does as they go through life. Um, but the reason I, I knew I had to do it is I was frustrated. And I, I don't think banking is broken as such. I think there's a lot of good things in financial services and it solves a lot of problems. And the two main things for me that banking has done in time immemorial is provide liquidity and price risk. Mm. And that, that's essentially in various shapes or forms what it does. And I think the pricing of risk is is very different these days to what it had been historically. And why merchant banking got so exciting for me is I, I was in more of the private banking space, so getting to know entrepreneurs and getting to know what drove their businesses. But that kind of personal relationship of trust doesn't exist very much in other areas of banking. I mean, retail doesn't exist at all. There's no mm. more branches and you, you lose that kind of personal touch. Um, and in the institutional space, you might get it at the really high end, the, the biggest clients for investment banking, but in the, in the mid-market end, it's you're already starting to lose that that longevity that you would build over time to, to engage with somebody in a way that they, they might take a risk on you or, or in return. And AI is amazing, tech is amazing, but I think the combination of tech and people is what is ultimately going to drive growth. And so I thought, agree with that. if I could do it in a way that allows us to carve out a little niche that I hope can be someday quite scalable in a big niche, but for now is just crypto SME, kind of as we scale more SME, I, I had to go for it. So in that, I knew that there was a revolution happening in digitization. I thought crypto was a really great way to access that. 
and I knew that I could probably get a job back in industry <laughs> if I had to. But not not going to happen on your watch by the sounds. <laughs> by the sounds but, I mean, you never know. <laughs> a, a lot of people have great ideas and great, but then something in the macro situation hits them. And yeah, COVID absolutely. Happens to hit a lot of good tech businesses. And how did that work but, for you? So obviously you you've grown through that. Yeah. And, and particularly as a self-funded business, I've got even more respect for companies who, who've, well, who've got through it. We have way. raised as well. Yeah, we yeah. Had a raise. But at that sort of yeah. Sta- yeah, that sort of yeah. stage, it's still yeah. pretty you know, ph- phenomenal, right? And to raise even in, that, in those sort of times. We were lucky. I mean, if you'd been in a client-facing business, a restaurant, a, a hotel, I mean, th- those are tough times. Whereas with the response, particularly governments were giving about the continuation of QE, helping asset prices go up, and by consequence, crypto looked more attractive as a sector, almost as a hedge. Yeah. A lot of firms were doing very well in this area. For us, I think... We, we need to diversify the revenue base. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm keen on these three things. And I think any one of them in isolation does not a digital merchant bank make. So we, we need those relationships and the tech and the platform to, to make that work. But the, the intention is to get more annuity income because mm-hmm. we were making good variable income from the platform side, but to have the capacity to sleep at night and make sure we're, we're growing sustainably, I, I think that's the challenge now for us in, in the coming years, to keep the variable but to, to grow the base, hence the banking service. And it's another exciting piece to move into, isn't it? And I love the excitement of going down new areas and you know, pushing new products and seeing businesses grow and develop. And a lot of this world I find really fascinating, particularly, as you say, from moving from that very traditional sort of world into this decentralised world. And very kindly, you're going to feature in, in the upcoming documentary, The Year of Convergence. Yeah. And this is something for, you know, for people who haven't heard of this concept before we've been seeing more and more over the course of 2022 yeah sort of growing theme of traditional finance merging with decentralized mm. world and, and i guess that's exactly your story right yeah so talk to me a little bit about the era of convergence and what your thoughts are you know tell, tell me why there's so so much interest from people in that i mean you talked about frustration earlier yeah. on which which seems to drive a lot of it and yes. and i think you've spoken about technology as well which drives a lot of the the interest in this this sort of space tell me a, a little bit about why so many people like you who've come from that traditional finance world are being seduced into the decentralized world and why the decentralized world is so keen on enticing you in at the same sort of stage and opening the arms up. At the base of it, it's more fun. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good a reason as any. <laughs> but I, I do think that what the technology is opening up is going to be a revolution in how people access money. And we can talk about payments or structuring and the, the plumbing of how finance will be transformed and what that can open up on the, the front end for clients. Mm. But I think the thing that's most interesting about this area of convergence is purely from a client perspective, clients and our target markets, our corporates, are looking for partners to grow their business. And a bank, going back to those two things, liquidity and pricing of risk, used to take more risk, but really can't anymore because of the need for regulation after crises, repeated crises that pricing of risk is kind of a little bit less straightforward for them. And fintechs have grown up and we've seen credit funds and private equity and VC kind of fill gaps that banks used to fill. But they're only pitching typically their one product. And it's it's almost a tight agent model as opposed to an open market that if a fintech does something really well and scales, that's great. But from a client perspective, there's a lot of noise. So how do I know if I'm an SME that I need revenue-based lending or asset-based finance or mm. factoring? Or I have a whole gamut of choice, which is fantastic, but it's in that guidance of speaking with someone that you know and trust that can help you navigate which ones fit. And I think 
why the crypto side or the digitally native side is so interesting is it's it's effectively a new source of money to grow mm. a business. So we, we think of debt or equity as kind of the traditional ways that an entrepreneur can fund. But NFTs, for example, allow you to build a community, if that's suitable for your business, to monetize, but also incentivize then the growth of your of your revenue stream. And it's it's not something that hits your balance sheet or gives up equity in the firm, but it, it is something that is additive to, to the value of your firm. And I think increasingly businesses have seen that there are routes to money that are novel and useful. Fast-moving consumer goods companies, fashion brands have looked at this kind of thing. The product that I'm waiting for is digital debt, <laughs> which is fixed income but on a digital backend, which we've seen in the, the example of Navara and the London Stock Exchange Group a few years ago, yeah, yeah. with Amin Overy building this amazing fixed income product that sold digitally. But you need a market that wants that kind of product and you need people that will want to invest in that kind of product. Mm. And the reason we love one of my personal heroes is Sigmund Warburg, uh, is he built the Eurobond market. And I think something like this digital debt market for smaller businesses could be revolutionary to get money from the capital markets to SMEs and also help to fund that gap that banks are no longer able to, to give the money that maybe they could have historically. Yeah, and I think that SME space, I've, I've had a number of conversations on this show recently about the significance of the SME world full stop. I think it is underserved and it does have challenges around it. And as you say, that, that the access to funding for businesses, I think, is pretty well documented. And, and I guess there's more and more different ways that people are exploring there to, to do things from traditional, right, we're going to go out and give X amount of money to a, a VC who are going to be arguably or, or arguably not the right sort of investor for our business. Or we're going to talk to a, to a bank who's going to basically hang a sort of Damocles above our head as to whether we can or can't you know, achieve what we want to do. That's sort of, I guess, almost democratising and opening up you know, the world to, to SMEs is a really, really important part because the failure rate is way too high. Yeah. And you know, sometimes that can be about the irresponsibility of starting and, and business plan and such like I take it. But I think there's a lot of good businesses that miss out on opportunity because of a lack of variety. And, and this is something which I think is a really exciting part of all this, right? We're hoping to address that. We'll hopefully be part of a solution. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that there are really interesting businesses that are falling through the cracks. I think it's hard at the really small end of SMEs to as you say, startups, if it's still that kitchen table territory, how do you yeah. get money? And there you need you need the VCs, you need angels, you need yeah, somebody yeah. that's going to take a proprietary risk. But as you start to generate revenues, I mean, even once you cross certain thresholds of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of revenue, you're still not getting the money necessarily that you should. And that market, I think, is the one we'll focus on. And it's not even the money you should, it's the pressures there, are well-documented pressures mm. of, uh, of late payment for SMEs. It's a, there's yeah. always a noose around its head at the same time, right? Yes, cash flow is yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, as I'm sure you, you, yeah. you know from everything you've been doing. Yeah. Let's talk about where this goes for you. So, mm. so that sort of vision of the mid-teens, the two teens you were uh, building through, sort of actualize itself in 2018 when you take the plunge and start the business yeah. up. We fast forward sort of four or five years on into the journey and it's, as you say, grown from a kitchen table into a 30-person plus yeah. biz business and such like. Yeah. Where does this go? What's the journey look like for you from here on in? I'm trying to think macro. Yeah. <laughs> And one thing that I'm quite passionate about is seeing the UK financial centre continue to grow. And it's been difficult for crypto in the UK to build unicorns. I think there's a lot in the US, there's even quite a few in Europe, but there's so far none in the UK. And I think a business like ours, particularly if we can help bridge the traditional world, the, the corporate world that is, is having a need for money with some of the more digitally native solutions and also serve those corporates that mm. are trying to resolve some of the issues, 
I think we have a chance to be part of a wave of unicorns if we get there. I mean, we'll, we'll do our best, but I, I think there's a need for the UK PLC to, to embrace this. Yeah, I think yeah. it's here to stay. And you'll need to have a network and ecosystem of firms that are trying to do innovative things well for there to be a network effect, as we've seen with fintech. Yeah. But thus far, we're, we're on the catch-up. Face. It's exciting though, isn't it? I just love the fact that, that, that that's the vision for it to sort of you know take that unicorn status and, and drive that further You have forward. to go for it. A hundred percent, but yeah. then you know also at the same sort of stage you have to go for it as you said beforehand to you know to do something which no one's done before. So let's look at that. So as you say, you are the initial Google when you put digital merchant bank into into, yes. <laughs> into Google. How long does that stay the case, and, and how much is first mover advantage? Because obviously there's a lot of merchant banks, and as you, as they yeah. start to see. Yeah, your success in that area, you know, the traditional, this is the same with the fintech revolution, yes. is fintech was there to disintermediate the investment banking world yeah. and actually embraced it and brought it into the bosom of, of it yes. and, and became a lot more uh, digital as a business. So it was never, yeah. it was always us and them. TradFi and DeFi is a similar sort of route mm-hmm. where it started up as the punks looking to decentralize the, uh, you know, the financial systems and create something different, but recognizing the need for it to go mainstream needs yeah. that traditional infrastructure around it as well. So when you're as pioneering as you've been in your thought process as a, as a business, what stops major incumbents coming through and you know, speeding through you know, the years of graph that you've come up with beforehand? I think it's it's always a good thing to be first, but it's not always the easiest. 100%. And the, there are risks and almost being too early sometimes. And getting a banking license, for example, for us, we, we almost tried too early to go for it and building the, the core tech stack and the revenue streams have given us a lot more confidence and heft and we've grown up. So I think we're, we're, we're getting there. Sounds it. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of a moat, and we're getting this a lot in discussions with partners and investors, kind of how do you defend the business? I think the three things that we're doing, I'm not aware of anybody else trying to mix them together. Some people do one aspect of that really well. But the reason we need all three is if we have that relationship, we've invested in in building that client contact and listening to them and finding out what makes them tick. If we ourselves cannot be the provider of the navigation tool to get them access to money, we then lose kind of the beauty of almost embedded finance, what this world opens up of surfacing opportunities for a client without them necessarily having to fill in additional forms or get their complex onboarding process for various types of funding. If, if we can make that seamless for them, I think that's something that will be differentiating. And I also think the tech stack for us is something that's focused on client data and everything around that is integrated into various types of risk compliance. I mean, everything is API fed and ready for open banking. And if you look at some of the traditional banks, I mean, that's just not possible. Yeah let alone doing 24-7 settlement to its baking in some of the innovation that's happening in digital. So I think we're looking at that as a way to keep us fresh. And my CTO and I have had long discussions around how do you keep the tech stack something that doesn't hold you back but puts you in a good position. Yeah. And the challenge I've always given to him is, and we've agreed this kind of from the outset, we need to be able to replace the core banking system, even if we don't want to, every couple of years. Because sometimes I've seen firms just ossify around. Oh, 100%. It's one of the biggest, I guess, uh, nooses for businesses yeah. is is, is, you know, is that inability to innovate due to legacy tech. And I think that's a really important part of it. So data for us is the key. If we can keep client data in a way that allows us to port it to any system, yeah, we then hope to keep an edge also as traditional or new entrants come into the market. 
I'm excited about this. I'm looking yeah. forward to this unicorn uh, and this, <laughs> this unicorn coming to fruition. I, yeah. I can, you can see. It. I, I love talking to passionate people who've got an idea and are going going through it and mm. putting, you know, putting all of that sort of into it with a, with a big ambition. I think this is probably as lofty as it comes around around this space as well. Listen, for people watching, and I know there's so much interest in all of this at the moment, and particularly yeah. when you're talking about something as revolutionary as this. Who do you want to be speaking to at the moment? Who should be speaking to you, and how can they reach you? We'd love kind of crypto companies and SMEs to have discussions with. We built the core banking to launch uh, as an e-money, so it's not deposits or lending ourselves. But that service is going through friends and family next month, and we'd love to meet people that are interested to have reasonable fees for this kind of service. Because <laughs> yeah. we know there's quite a few that can charge a lot for yeah. banking services. But for us, because we have the diversified platform of revenues, we don't have to charge a fortune for it. So mm. ideally, somebody that wants a personal service but at a meaningful fee rate um, would be great and I think the platform side we're super keen to get our discussions going with sources of money so we have some interesting transactions we've come across now at an earlier stage and B2B lending is something we can already engage with and we're working to try to get more credit funds and family offices that want to get exposure to some interesting opportunities on on deck so that we can then help grow that and also some native fintechs that have good solutions for some of these verticals in lending for example we'd like to build relationships with them probably initially we don't have huge volumes with the banking services but over time we hope to be more of a kind of network effect of, of getting good pipeline through to these these innovative sources of money it's just it's such an education listening listening to it all and yeah there's a lot of opportunity in there and how should they get in touch with you what's the best way to to reach out with the website obviously <laughs> yeah yeah it helps doesn't it so info at greengage.co and we're, we're doing an upgrade of the website so hopefully it should look a little bit Keep cleaner cool for that as well and talk to me about this as, as yeah. i said at the start you're a podcast to yourself and doing some mm. stuff around the gauge too yeah tell us a little bit about why people should be listening to that and what they yeah. can expect to hear so I think like this discussion, we're trying to bring a bit of measure to the crypto space. I think there's a lot of very exciting people and amazing things happening, but sometimes it's almost too exciting for yeah. for some, some listeners or almost too technical. Yeah, that's the piece, isn't it? And so we, we've seen a gap to just bring normal industry expertise in, in a way that can can moderate that excitement, but also open it up to people that maybe haven't heard of it yet. And so they should uh, look after that at the gauge to... Uh, so we're on Spotify, the gauge, yeah. and on, on our greengauge.co website as well. Superb. Yeah. Listen, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. I've loved every minute of it. Thank really you. appreciate you Likewise. coming in. Yeah. And thanks for coming and yeah, chatting to us. Cheers. And thank you all for watching. We will see you soon on another episode of Fintech Focus TV. Thanks a lot. <laughs>